This is the Formation Lab. Welcome back, everybody, to the Formation Lab, the only podcast on Earth that is dealing with the effects of the coronavirus. And yes, that is a true fact, so long as you do not Google it. It is absolutely true, and it's also true that Luke likes to mess with his juju, and I don't know why. I, you and karma are real things, Luke, and you're messing with it. Do not mess with the universe anymore. We've been over this. <laughs> but, you know, things can always get a little worse. And as a fan of a good old American crap show, I've said this several times, I want us all to get better. But gosh darn, is, is America fascinating right now? Is the world fascinating? Well, it, like it. Like in in not in in not a good way, and I'm totally tired uh, of living in interesting times. Um, but uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that are going on right now, uh, and this is this is the big one right now. There's a this is one of those things. When I was a kid, I had my uh, I had to ask my grandparents about like, hey, what was it like, you know, being born during. World War II and growing up with the Vietnam War and all this and where were you when JFK was shot? And I think my grandkids, uh, which I know my friends listen, I'm not having kids, so shut up. It's a figure of expression. But uh, anyway, but I think my grandkids are going to ask, like, where were you on A, 9-11, and B, when the coronavirus outbreak happened? And then C, probably, like, where were you when Tony Hawk landed the 900 of the 1999 X Games? But that was also important, so – that yeah, a monument of life right there. Yeah, uh, but like yeah, it's interesting knowing that you're sitting at a time that'll be talked about in history. Um, but Tim, motorsports carries on even if they're not racing. The news doesn't stop, so to the speak. News so not stop. That's right. And you know, uh, race some racing did happen. There were some online shenanigans happening. Um, Those were fun. They were fun. And, uh, you know, seeing Jimmy Johnson out there uh, in the NASCAR, I did enjoy the NASCAR race more than I enjoyed the F1 race, I guess, because. Yeah. And I think you pointed this out to me that uh, the F1 race is more of an arcade game, whereas the NASCAR is more of a simulator. So it's it's closer to uh, real life. So I guess that's why I enjoyed it more. It stood more. Mm -hmm. And as I say, and additionally, um, the NASCAR race, it's it's on run on iRacing, but it was almost it was entirely NASCAR drivers or former NASCAR drivers, right? So it was NASCAR drivers and Jimmy Johnson and you know Dale Earnhardt Jr. Guys like that, right? Yep. Um F one would serve themselves well if they separated the the esports guys into their own category and just had their own drivers uh race their Oh, a driver's only race, basically. Uh, yeah, I would agree completely. Even if it's former F1 drivers, I thought I had read a list where there were going to be more um, mm-hmm. F1 drivers involved, and I was kind of disappointed to see it was basically Lando. Um, Hulkenberg was in there. It was cool to see him, although, surprise, surprise, he didn't get a podium. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Stoffel Van Dorn, um, you know, and, and some other characters. But then you had commentators. And to me... I kind of felt like that was really lame. Um, and the I guess I, I really would have preferred a simulator. because. And don't get me wrong. You and I both enjoy the Codemasters game. It's fun. But it's for us. It's entertainment. It's not realistic in, in, uh, in a race simulation where if you go through a corner and pull over Stappen at Austria on Leclerc, you're not just going to bump him and then he like jumps over three feet. That's not going to happen. You're going to hit him and you're both going to pay for it. It disobeys the laws of physics, which is a lot of the reason I watch Formula One is because, you know, they mess with the laws of physics, but not like that. So, you know, there, but there was some racing. And I think the best part of it for me was in between sessions, Lando on Twitch called Zach Brown, Max Verstappen, uh, Carlos Sainz, tons of guys. And it was him calling George Russell was the best. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, so Lando Norris had to start from the back of the grid and uh, he called, he called George Russell. He goes, Hey George, uh, you know, I, 
I have to start from the back of the grid on this uh, on this race, and I wanted to call my buddy who has the most experience of anyone ever at starting from the back of the grid. <laughs> and George Russell kind of gave it to him, and uh, it was a it was a fun time. I love the fact that George Russell, personality of personalities, uh, he's grown on me so much. Uh, he just owns the fact that like. Yeah, you know, objectively, Williams are kind of crap this year. Uh, not even kind of. They are crap. But he just owns it. He knows he does a good job with what he's got. Exactly. And the funnier part was that on the official Formula One podcast, Beyond the Grid, where they talked to Formula One characters, um, Lando was just on there, like, I think two episodes ago, maybe last episode. And he actually talked about how he hero-worshipped George Russell as a kid. So to have him call George Russell and say, hey, I wanted to call a slow guy, and it was just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. I also really liked how uh, he called um, Zach Brown and was saying, hey, uh, yeah, so I messed up, and I'm starting at the back of the grid. It's not a good show for McLaren. And Zach Brown was like, well, you better pick it up. <laughs> so it was <laughs> absolutely perfect, really taken in stride, you know, and uh, it was it was a good time had by all. But I was laughing more, but I wasn't enjoying the racing more. The NASCAR race was definitely uh, the better thing, and especially uh, to be put on like FS1 was was awesome to see. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a Formula One fan or just a Formula One or just an IndyCar fan listening, absolutely check out the next NASCAR esports race on FS1. The only thing that, that really differs from real life i'd say even the graphics are less noticeably video game like on on fs1 um the only thing was nascar drivers and this happened in the formula one one too is uh you know nascar drivers rely on spotters and also it's a lot harder to have a sixth sense about where a car is around you in a racing simulator so there were a lot of yellow flags in in both races but nascar especially they get about 10, 15 laps in, somebody would uh, would lose it, go to the back of the grid, and they'd have to restart. It got to the point where Fox Sports 1 said, hey, you're using up most of your, your TV slot. No more yellow flags. But, yep. uh, but it was funny because the commentators yeah. were like, oh, there he goes again. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's part of the thing with NASCAR, too, is one of the problems they have in real life is these long green flag stretches that they have. The cars get so spread out because they don't pack race anymore. Um it gets so spread out that it, it it kind of lends itself to these long, drawn-out stretches of not much happening. When you wreck every 10 laps, the cars get bunched back together pretty quickly. <laughs> That's right. They do. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, that was the I fun part of the weekend. Yeah. Unfortunately, there, there are some other items that we have to discuss um, simply because it's um, – kind of wild uh what we're seeing uh right now in the world at large um the coronavirus covid19 um has uh taken a bigger chunk out of uh the season as we move forward um uh azerbaijan has been officially canceled monaco has been officially canceled for the first time in almost 70 years Mm -hmm. um they we will not have um, a race in the principality. And, uh, I, you know, as an F1 fan, I, I'm just, um, I can't, I can't understand a season without Monaco. So we're, you know, I'm, we're going to have to wrap our heads around that. Um, and everything is canceled up until Canada as of right now. And, um, unless the curve of infection can be kind of arrested a little bit, I don't see that Luke, um, improving, uh, before June. No, I, yeah. So Canada starts on the 12th of June and right now, um, it's currently being talked about canceled. I think, I think I heard somewhere that organizers are in discussions. One thing to remember is that one, it's always better to say we overreacted than we underreacted, right? Always. Um, I don't, June is a long ways away. And we don't know what's going to happen. But what we do know is that if we can save any amounts of lives, even one, it's not really acceptable to have, you know, the Canadian GP. You know, if if Spa last year, if we could have not had the race and saved Antoine Hubert's life, we wouldn't have had the race because we would have known ahead of time. Let's just not do this. Um, 
it's it's the same thing here. It's maybe not a driver, but it may be a fan or somebody in, in Montreal. One of the things to remember is that F1 is dealing with a different set of situations than any other sports league on earth right now. I know hockey, the NHL, their plan right now, knock on wood, is, you know, hey, mid-May, we might start ramping the season back up and we could be playing through summer and awarding the Stanley Cup in like an August situation, right? That's what they're hoping for. F1 is a different beast, all right? In a hockey game, I'm using hockey as an example, right? In a hockey game, you have 18,000 people. They're mostly from St. Louis, right? It's St. Louis Blues game. You have to remember that these races are 250,000 people and not just from the town, right? You know, Montreal could have it all figured out in terms of, you know, their their infection rates declining. They're all healing up and they're getting better and they're on the tail end of this thing. But the second somebody from, you know, Vietnam goes to Montreal to watch the race and then takes it back to Vietnam, you've just, you know, devastated, potentially devastated another country. The internationality of F1, which is a big draw to fans, is kind of what is going to be its undoing in terms of not being able to hop back on, hey, let's race at this point. Um, and hat tip to Formula One. You guys can't see it, but I actually did tip my hat. Um, they have been much more proactive about canceling and postponing races far into the future than I think any other sports league. Um, the NFL, for example, is you know still doing their draft. They're just doing it from a remote broadcast F1 that's closer to, you know, this than F1. I don't think, I don't know of another sports uh, league that has, you know, has canceled plans through June. So, yeah. And you know, they're being proactive. They're being uh, very cautious and they, they won't put their fans at risk. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of hope that we get to the point where, uh, we can have maybe racing without fans for now, uh, kind of like IndyCar is considering, um, yeah. kind of moving forward. Yeah, and like I said, the the question is, it, the other thing to keep in mind too is if you know how baseball wants to do games without fans. There's what twenty, uh, we'll say thirty people, forty people, the broadcasters, the truck, and the two teams. Or no. That'd be about 100 people. We'll say about 100 people at a baseball game without fans, right? There's like 100 people per team at an F1 race. Like there's there's just no shortage of the number of people um, that'll be there. I hope we can get racing without fans. And it's something that IndyCar is um, – they're, they're probably looking at right now. I have no updates since last week. Uh, obviously, last week's episode didn't get to air – talk about that at the tail end but the indycar still plans to start the season as of now with the month of may uh at indianapolis and now a lot of people might say well that's pretty soon considering what f1's doing but there's a lot to consider because the month of may is such a unique thing uh, if the indy 500 involves fans or not we don't know uh but the month of May is interesting because obviously, you know, starting actually late April, it's all testing and qualification and this and that. And if you can run that without fans, there's usually, I mean, you saw last year, there's maybe, if they're even open to the public, there's maybe 500 to 1,000 fans there. It looks like there's nobody in the stands. They're just walking about taking an Indy car. So, like, it, there's, it can be run without fans the month of may up until the indy 500 it can be and i think you would see a lot of people tuning in uh remotely to watch it whether it be online or whether it be uh, on television so um and i think it would be a very nice thing to have i i think so too i told one of my friends um you know just getting into it i said you get to experience the anticipation of the month of may for the first time but like because it's the only thing on, you'll actually kind of understand the drama that goes on when somebody posts a time that's a uh, somebody posts a lap that's a quarter mile an hour faster than everybody else. If you aren't, if you don't know sports or you don't know IndyCar, you're like, yeah. If you know IndyCar, it can be intriguing to watch and followed by a lot of people. And I think that's part of the reason that IndyCar 
likes that date is because fingers crossed if we're if we've peaked by that point in terms of the uh, the COVID nineteen you know infection rate, um, IndyCar could anticipating could could be the first sport back on TV with no fans. Just the first sport back on TV, and I think that's very tempting for them. And personally, I would love nothing better than for the first race on the calendar to be the Indy 500. Yeah, um, here, here's here's my two my two happy mediums is first race on the calendar, the Indy 500, um, with no fans, bro. That would be insane. As of right now, the Indianapolis Grand Prix is not canceled. So my ideal one is your season opener is actually your Indy GP with no fans and minimal skeleton crew. You get everything hammered out, and then the Indy 500 you hopefully have in front of fans. Um, that's really soon in terms of this timeline we're looking at. Uh, we don't know if it's – actually, I shouldn't say it's soon. We don't know if it's soon or not. We don't know the rate at which this moves through a country as, as wide, as large as ours. Um, but uh, that, you know, it, with or without, I think the Indy 500 being on air um, would just be kind of a great moral booster, morale booster for not only racing fans, but just like Americans as a whole. You know, I have a feeling that if the NBA isn't on and, you know, there's an NBA fan uh, that's like, oh, hey, sports are on, they're going to watch sports, right? Sports Absolutely. Center will be like, did you see the Indy 500? It was the only thing on. Did you watch it? Um, it could be huge for IndyCar to have that race with or without fans, really. And I think, you know, I, I think it goes back to what you said, though. It'll be a big morale booster for the public, um, you know, a big morale booster for you and I, the racing fans, because a year without the Indy 500 is like a year without Monaco. It's just yep. not right. And um, I, I saw it posted somewhere, and I'll try to bring it up. Um, but I saw that um, someone say that once this is all over, uh, you know, every single sports game for like the next year is going to be sold out. Um, oh, yeah, here it is. Every game will sell out. Every restaurant will have a two-hour wait. Every kid will be glad to be in school. Everyone will love their job. The stock market will skyrocket. Every other house will get TP'd, and we'll all embrace and shake hands. To me, that would be kind of like the floodgates opening, um, and it would be a nice bit of elation to go into the summer months. Yeah, it it would be it would be so nice. The concerts will be you know back. It, the ability to do things as we knew them before. I don't want to sound like dramatic, right? Because like we live in 2020, we have so many modern conveniences, and also we're not on. Uh, mandatory lockdown to the point where we can't go to the grocery store and get food you know right. um we have amazon too if we need any odds and ends that are sold in non-essential stores i don't want it to sound like you know we're over here just braving the winter um <laughs> but uh the it'll be so much so great to get back to what was normal and just you have any idea the little things we'll appreciate right the ability to like shake hands and hug you the first time i see you like th that kind of thing, seeing you in person, seeing my friends in person, going out to play disc golf, those will just be appreciated so much more. Yep. Uh, the a CEO of a local tech company that realtors use a lot here in St. Louis uh, actually put it to me best. We aren't social distancing as much as we are physical distancing. Good news about technology. We can still do our podcast. We can still talk. We can still um, be social, but not in the way we want. We're physically distant and we are as human beings, it, it's our nature to be near others. Um, and, but I think you're right. Um, you know, we're all going to appreciate the little things a little bit more. And I'll put this to you. This isn't our rundown at all. What is something you will be grateful for in the racing world that you, uh, did you, that you maybe took for granted before? Um, I'll tell you what I will be grateful for. And it's something that, like, I think to you and I is either, like, annoying or already fun at the beforehand. But I will absolutely love to have Media Circus back in IndyCar, in F1. Because I've found that when I get on, you know, Reddit is my social media of choice. It's both of ours. When, uh, when, we get on, when I get on Reddit, I'm like, well, 
let me habitually go to the places I always go to. Formula One, hockey, baseball, IndyCar. None of those have stories coming out. And that constant soap opera of Formula One, of IndyCar, going on in the background of our lives is kind of our lean back to entertainment, to being intrigued, you know? So to not have that, there's just kind of like, I'll get on Reddit, but I don't know where to go. <laughs> like, what what do I do? Exactly. I want I want a little drama to be blown out of proportion again. Because even though we all roll our eyes, we all still click it and we read it and we were entertained. I never thought I'd see the day where I would agree with you that I missed the clickbait titles. Yeah. You know, the bogus stories where you're like, oh, come on. But you click on it anyway because you're like, what's your source? Tell me more. <laughs> I, 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 I do think we took that for granted because we kind of took a big dump on them most of the time. But it is kind of nice. They, they will be nice to be ha- to have back. Yeah, for sure. So what, what's one thing, racing or otherwise, that you just think you'll be like, I think I'll appreciate this more when, when, they, when we get out of our house, so to speak? Um, I'll appreciate being at the games more around people uh, mm-hmm. or at the race more. You know, it's you know, seeing a movie in public, you know, the first weekend it comes out is always better than the subsequent weekend. Seeing a game that's absolutely crazy is always better when it's in person and with people. There's a there's an electricity through the crowd that you can't match, you can't have anywhere else. It's a it's this incredible feeling of being alive that um, you know, I'm not gonna totally wax poetic about it, but I will be able to sit back and be like, I will never get because, you know, I'm as extroverted as an introvert can get. So, you know, if I were given the choice between being in a sports bar and being at home, I'm going to be at home. But now that I'm forced to be here, I'm kind of like, you know, it would be nice to have the option to go down to my corner pub and, you know, watch the ball game with everybody or watch the race with everybody and kind of see them get excited. Um, You know, and it doesn't even matter if you're you have to be watching it live with other people. Um, You know, I don't think my first year back out of this even though we've only been doing it for two weeks, I do miss um, the camaraderie and the the uh, the social aspect of um, what sports brings everyone. It's that excitement too, isn't it? It's the fact that like when somebody else gets excited for something that you're both observing, you feed off of that excitement. And I think that's one of the things that that really is driving not just me and you, but everybody who's at home now, uh, you know, here in the U.S. and across the pond is we have, you know, ways to communicate. I mean, our group chat is blowing up right now with text. We've texted more now than we have in a, in a while. But there's not much to get excited about. And that feeling of mutual excitement, of sharing the feeling with, with the people uh, around you is certainly something special. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's mostly because we're all bored uh, <laughs> yeah. that we're just kind of, you know, being like, hey, how about this conspiracy theory? <laughs> um, you know, it's that kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, yeah, that's uh, that's what I think I think will be good when it comes back. But until yeah, then, just you have to deal with fallout um, uh, of things that are happening, uh, you know, besides uh the you know the postponement of everything um the 2021 regulations by formula one have been pushed off until 2022 nothing to do uh with missing the season as much as everybody had to shut the factories down everybody had to shut everything down so development um is still going to need to take time so they're going to push that off um and unfortunately uh covid19 has struck home close to home with uh the formula one family um my personal favorite F1 commentator, Will Buxton, um, has uh, lost his uncle uh, to the disease. Um, unfortunately, uh, he was because of uh, how contagious he was, he wasn't even able to kiss his uh, aunt goodbye. Um, and it was brutal. He, he said in full his Twitter post, last night we lost my uncle to COVID-19. My aunt placed in isolation, couldn't even kiss her husband goodbye. Please think of those more vulnerable than you. If you stop moving, this virus stops spreading. Please stay at home. Save your and other families uh, the same anguish. Um, and I think you and I both agree. For now, everyone just stay home. 
Yeah. It, it's something – look, I am as extroverted as extroverts get. You're as extroverted as introverts get. I'm as extroverted as extroverts get. I am a very social person, right? I will always choose to be out with people as opposed to at home alone. I am staying at home alone indefinitely. The only thing I've been out of the house is to run a microphone to somebody for work. That's it. And yeah, stay home. You know, like here – Again, we talked about this last week, the week before, the week before. It's not about if you'll be okay. It's about if everybody you see will be okay, everybody who touches the same surfaces as you see will okay, will be okay. And it's about if those people who are only secondary linked to you will then go home to their grandparents and if they'll be okay. Uh, stay home. It's about. It's not about you. It's about everybody you could possibly run into and everybody they could possibly run into. And that is just – it, it's so crucial to stay home. Uh, I want to get back. Uh, one more thing is IndyCar. Obviously, they postponed the race at St. Pete. Um, the organizers of the St. Pete GP offered to parlay tickets from this year's race into tickets to next year's race or a different IndyCar race put on by the same organizers. I believe the other two are Toronto, not Long Beach, Toronto, and I want to say Barber um, Motorsports Park. Uh, they are not offering refunds, however. Uh, there's been quite a bit of outrage for that. I would want a refund. Uh, if yeah, it, it should be said, though, that this is not up to IndyCar. The organizers are the people who sold the tickets to the race. Um, so if the organizers aren't offering refunds, IndyCar just kind of does like, what do you want me to do? I only got you know, 10 per, you know, 15, 20, 30 percent of the gate or whatever it was and all the con TV money. I didn't sell these tickets. Yeah. You know, so, um, literally can't afford to. Yeah. They can't afford to. That's the other thing, too, is we're starting to realize a lot of sports leagues, uh, are very dependent on ticket sales. IndyCar is not an exception. Formula One's not an exception. Uh, the NHL are not an exception. Um, so yeah, they, they can't afford to just give away the money. The organizers, on the other hand, should offer a refund. Um, it's probably going to hurt them in the long term, but they should at least offer a refund. I thoroughly expect that with Penske in charge of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and it, the connection it has to IndyCar, if the Indy 500 is canceled, there will be refunds. But don't count on it, people, and don't count on getting your money back immediately. We, we could be looking like a month to get a refund because of how many people are going to these events. So logistically speaking, yeah, it would be a pretty big nightmare. But, you know, if Roger Penske says it's going to happen, then it's going to happen. So um, and Roger, we trust. Yeah, I, I expect him to do the right thing. But obviously, we don't know if the Indy 500 is canceled. As of now, it's still on. So, hey, Hopes that's good. Are high. Hopes are high. And then one last thing I want to get in in the news. I mean, we said, you know, Formula One postponed the rule change until 2022. Uh, like we said, it's the factories are shutting down. It's not going to be missing. There are a lot of contracts that expire in 2021, Tim. Uh, a lot. Quite a few. And it's going to be fun because I think, Luke, that silly season is going to start early. Really? Those negotiations might start happening before we know it. So They could be uh, happening I, right now. Uh, they could. It could be happening right now. But there's no way for us to know. I mean, the paddock isn't open, so no one can yeah. go around and, you know, spread scuttlebutt. So, uh, you know, I know that it's driving F1 journalists insane. I'm sure it's driving the uh, gossip mongers of the paddock insane um, because they're probably pretty much cut out of the negotiations. If we do hear leaks, if we do hear lead stories, it's coming from the driver's agent, period, yep. or his representation. Um because it's not going to be coming from the teams. So, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting. I think around May or June we'll start hearing uh, some of those things because the August uh, summer break has been uh, officially canceled, and uh, they'll be moving races in there once we get back up to speed. Um, <laughs> pun intended to get it. <laughs> pun intended. I got you. I got you. <laughs> I'm here all week. Tip your waitresses. Um, yeah, yeah, you so, really are yeah. home all week. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, and well, uh, yeah, that's that's a story I'll tell you offline. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I just got off quarantine. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it'll be interesting. I think that'll come sooner. Uh, but hey, we'll find out. 
We we will. It'll. This is unprecedented territory for Formula One. It's unprecedented territory for every sport. It's unprecedented territory globally. Like not outside of sports and in sports. Uh, but it, it could be the silliest of seasons. I mean, we could be looking at some real head scratchers, and uh, maybe that's an idea for a quarantine uh show. Is what what silliness will come out of the silly season? I think you and I should actually do a show where we come up with what what, what are the likely landing spots. Yeah. And yeah, that's- uh, because here's what I think. I think you're going to see a certain Renault driver end up at Ferrari. Ooh. So little uh, little uh, tasty morsel for everybody who wants to come back and hear my uh, tinfoil hat theory. I know Luke's got a few. So we <laughs> might, that actually might be a fun uh, coronavirus show where we go through and we completely baselessly speculate as to where everybody ends up. Emphasis on baselessly. We don't know any more than you guys know, uh, than, you know, certain journalists know that's all, that's all. We're just reporting on what we see. So, and that will not be a report. We we're not saying that a certain Renault driver goes to formula one. We are just saying, Hey, you know, silly season talks speculation. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, we are going to uh, we are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We have some fun stuff actually planned. Tim, uh, you said, "Hey, let's talk about our favorite race car, our favorite Formula One car of all time." We had to narrow it down to Formula One because if I did favorite race car, there's so many to list, man. Like, how do you how do you list like you know a McLaren MP44 versus you know a, a Subaru Rally car? You know. You can't. So, uh, favorite Formula One cars. We got that coming up next. And Tim, I think you got had a little something special for us too, didn't you? You want to tease that? Uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go with a little story time with Tim. I have a story. I have a fun little story, something obscure from the okay. annals of F one history uh, that I personally found hilarious. Okay. Well, I am thoroughly teased that that came out wrong. We'll just. We'll just move on to the next segment. This is Formation Lab with 101 ESPN. The Formation Lab. The Formation Lab. Welcome back to the Formation Lab. What it do to y'all out in quarantine land? And uh, Tim, you know, it's not exactly the most positive time to look at the news. But, you know, the testament to human resiliency is I think we're capable of having a laugh smiling at each other and having a good time regardless of our circumstances in life. And uh, let's try and do that, huh? I completely agree. The way I get through most of hardships and hope most of life's hardships uh, is humor. So let's crack a joke or two, have a good time, and talk about the wonderful world of motorsport and the crazy stuff it's given us in history. So do you want to start with your surprise story or do you want to start because we talked about our favorite cars of all time too. Um, I think we should start with the cars, but I am happy to start with my car. Um, All right, go ahead. Like you're going to have some more uh, stories behind yours um, because everybody uh, does unfortunately know my car. It is the McLaren MP44 uh, built. Yeah, you you knew it. You called it. Like it's a, it's a it's a beautiful car. <laughs> it is. It, hey, built in the year of my birth. It is a turbocharged V6 monster. Now, power output is generally agreed upon that it uh, was around 900 brake horsepower, um, but you do see numbers and estimates that it went up to 1,200 and things of that nature, but um, it is it was an incredible machine. It won all but one race that year between the two drivers, Ayrton Senna and Alain Prost. Um, it, is, it was a manual six-speed uh, gearbox which I just still can't fathom how you would, you know, manually reach down and as you're driving through at uh, Formula One speeds and somehow manage to shift and change and all that. Um, but uh, yeah, fantastic car. Uh, it is iconic for Formula One. Uh, most uh, backdrops that you see, if it's a cutout of a car, it's the MP44. It's the one that most fans that are of an age. Uh, fell in love with it's the one that i fell in love with when i figured out that there's a little bit of common uh, commonality between the two of us and uh when i saw Ayrton driving it one-handed through the streets of monaco you just can't top it no the, and here's the thing too is i'm very much a visual guy that is a visually stunning car 
right? I know the cars today, they look pretty, but that is to me one of the prettiest cars of all time. And the liveries that it had on it were iconic as well. That that red and white livery, it just does not get more Formula One than that, right? Like it's just – it's so stereotypically beautiful. And to be driven by the likes of Alan Prost and, uh, and Ayrton Senna, I mean – Look, it, there are great cars, and then there are great drivers. But when you get the two melded together, I mean, the legend of that car just grows. And really, a lot of the McLaren name owes itself to that car. I know, obviously, it was founded by Bruce McLaren, and Bruce McLaren is one of the greatest drivers of all time. And you know, his name is synonymous with going fast. But I'd, I'd wager seventy percent of uh, of that. McLaren means go fast is due to the to both the MP44 and the McLaren F1. When when those two cars when those cars came out, I mean they just rocked the world. It, there's there's nothing like them. No, there isn't. the The foundations of McLaren were actually built with that car. It mm-hmm. was a good team. It was okay as they were moving forward, but they came into a certain level of. Uh, brilliance uh, after after that era. They, they became synonymous with F1 and dominance because before that you had, um, you know, uh, Nicky Lauda in a McLaren uh, and you had, had James Hunt uh, in a McLaren as well a few years prior to that in the 60s and the 70s, but you didn't have that true rich history that you did that one year where to uh, an unstoppable force meant an immovable object, and uh, McLaren uh, was there for both. Yeah, it, it's it's a beautiful car. So I'm gonna I'm gonna geek out on my car a little Do bit. Uh, so my my go to car when I point to just liveries I love, and it's a unique looking car. All right, I'm not gonna claim it's as pretty looking as the McLaren MP44. In fact, looking at it today, it's a little wonky. But the Lotus 72 is just an incredible car. Now, it's not called the 72 because it was made in 1972. This thing ran between 1970 and 1975. That's six, count them, six seasons of dominance. Uh, actually, only five. The sixth season, everybody finally caught up to them. But the, the Lotus 72 is, and if you pull it up, it's an interesting-looking car, and it's really what bridged the gap between these angular wing-based race cars you see today and the tub race cars that you saw in the 1950s. It's what changed everybody's thoughts about you know, aerodynamics, about how good these cars can be. So in the six years between 1970 and 1975, the 72 laid claim to being one of the most dominant cars of all time. First off, let's just address six years of racing is ungodly <laughs> for a race car. That Even back abs- then. Yeah, it's absurd. Um, it raced 75 races in those uh, six years. Uh, you have to keep in mind the schedule was smaller at that time, peaked out around 13, 14 races. But in those 75 races, it scored 20 wins and 39 podiums. And again, when we're looking at the Mercedes era where, you know, what, they won 60% of all races since the turbo hybrid came in, uh, that – doesn't eye pop as much, but you have to remember this is a different time. Back then, 20 wins in 75 races was more Mercedes-like, What was the equivalent of what Mercedes is doing today, maybe more so, uh, because, you know, Mercedes has, you know, only a couple teams up front that will challenge them. But uh, 39 podiums, 20 wins to the credit. It led three constructors' championships and two drivers' championships. And again, I want to reiterate how crazy that is. Imagine if Mercedes just took the 2019 car and won three straight years with it and nobody caught up to the 2019 car. They're racing in 2022 with the 2019 car and teams are still like, oh my gosh, we can't catch up to this thing. Three uh, years. <laughs> at this point, that actually might happen. Uh, <laughs> I think Racing Point will catch up to him. <laughs> Well, it helps that they copied the car. Um, it certainly, it certainly but, does. But yeah, no, that's 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 an absolutely bonkers run, especially in the seventies when cars were getting upgraded monthly. They were, yeah. you know, they, there was a ton of development happening, and kind of the the 
madness of the 80s had its stage set in the 70s when the experimentation was there. There was nothing in the way of aerodynamic grip. There was nothing in the way of safety for the drivers. I mean, you'll in the 70s, you had Gilles Villeneuve getting pissed off and just jumping in the car without doing up his seatbelts. So the 70s were an absolutely bonkers time. And to to have a car that you didn't need to develop, you're like, yeah, no, that's good. That is a Mercedes move. It's it is insane. And here's the thing too. And here's what makes it even more Mercedes move. Like in the when it was released, again, years ahead of its competitors. Really, it took six years for people to start catching up. Uh, it eventually was killed by the Ferrari 312T. Uh, the Ferrari 312T. If you go look at the two pictures of the cars, the Ferrari 312T 312T that is legitimately just like a, all right let's trace over the lotus thing and just can i copy your answers yeah just change a couple of the answers just to make sure i you know the teacher doesn't notice it the ferrari 312t was influenced by the lotus 72 and that's what eventually killed it it got killed by its own copy <laughs> years down the road hey, uh it, when it was released serious form of flattery so yeah uh, it's absolutely it has a number of now standard F1 features. Uh, first off, the wedge shape uh, was pretty new to the F1 circuit. Uh, when you see the old tub racers, you know, the ones that are like, oh, yeah, so, so and so is leading the third lap, you know, like old timey videos that's going in like 1.2 speed in black and white. Those tub racers, um, yeah, they had no idea what uh, <laughs> what you were looking at in aerodynamics. They've. Lotus came out and said, how about this wedge shape? We're going to base it off two previous Lotus cars, previously the uh, 5.6 and the 63, uh, which was a gas turbine car and a four-wheel drive test car, right? So these are two test cars that were just like, all right, let's see uh, let's see if this works. You know, they just had a couple of cars laying around. They're like, actually, you know what? That might do something aerodynamically. Uh, obviously, it had great air penetration at high speeds for the time. In one test against the Lotus 49, which uh, was a car that – pretty closely resembled the F1 field at the time with the tub racers with wings on them. Um, the 72 was 12 miles per hour faster with the exact same engine due only to its aerodynamics. It, it like 12 miles an hour is ridiculous today. And back then they weren't reaching the speeds they're reaching today. You know, they're not going as fast. 12 miles an hour is a higher percentage of your overall top speed than it is today. Uh, love it the other thing that it did was most radiators at the time were uh, mounted in like the nose of the car the radiators were and the 72 said hey we have these fancy little side pods that have you know air running into them while we mount the radiators there and that was uh that was a radical yet a radical thing and we see it today yeah mm-hmm. that is yeah that is still a very popular move today uh, and be by popular, I mean it's the only accepted design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it to cool it down with the radiators and the side pods. Again, this was at a time when most of these tub, most of these cars, again, tub racers with a wing on them, they didn't even have side pods at this point. You know, nope. so to put side pods on them, one, and then two, say we're not actually going to put the the radiator in the front. We're just going to put it on the side there, um, which again allowed you to have a more of a front wing because you didn't need that intake, you know, right in front of it, uh, right behind the front wing, a radical, radical move. Uh, So let's talk about numbers and how dominant this car was. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this name and I apologize. I've read his name several times. I I know who he is. Uh, I've never heard it said in all my years. So, uh, uh, Jochen Rent drove the uh, drove the Lotus 72 in six races in the 1970 season. Uh, six races, I should say, out of 13. All right. In a race in Italy, uh, he tragically passed away in a fatal accident. Uh, so he was kind of stopped at six races. Despite racing in six Grands Prix out of the 13 in the schedule, he got a little bit of help from Emerson Fittipaldi uh, after he passed. In those six races, he locked up the championship. He didn't even go to the first three races on the schedule, uh, if I remember the scheduling right. And he, of course, passed, I think it was round nine or something like that. So (laughs) it's, it's just... 
yeah, you know, he won the championship and didn't participate in over half of it. That's how dominant this car was. And I don't think we'll ever see, uh, like, just the statement that that is of didn't race in over half the season, won it anyway, is outrageous. It is. And, I mean, you've seen shades of it, like versions of it ever since, like a dominant car because of the design uh, and or several in this instance. Uh, like uh, the Red Bull run of eight world championships where they, well, four constructors, four drivers, so a four-year run. Um, and that's because uh, Adrian Newey split the battery uh, for the Kurs system, and they were able to sit lower and uh, get better wear on the entire system. Um, and he actually fought with the design team to make that happen. And uh, But it's li- that's a little thing. The side pods is genius. And, you know, for something to have survived to this day, um, you know, 40 some odd years later, it, or 50 now at this point, 50, half a century Holy that design crap. has survived. So that's incredible. I mean, to me, in Formula One, that's like uh, akin to the screw. So a screw, if you look at it and you think about it for a second, we actually haven't improved on the design of the screw since the days of Archimedes. So to to think that a design of something can be that essential is just boggles my mind. It's true. Like it Formula One is so obsessed with improvement and improving this, improving that. To find something that 50 years ago works into this day, they're like, yeah, there's there's no better way to do it. 50 years. If they if there was a better way, they would have found it. Like Far and away. Yep. Would have been done. And, and as cool as, you know, the DAS is, as cool as, you know, splitting the battery for the uh, for the Red Bulls was, those aren't as immediately obvious. When you look at the Lotus 72, like, you know that, like, this thing was radical and it changed something because I have never seen a car that looks quite like this, you know? Yep. The Red Bull at the time and, and the Mercedes DAS, those are – Little things that made a huge difference, but like they didn't so radically change fundamentally what we think about the shape of a car as the Lotus 72. They're like I said, they're shades. Yeah, it's and uh, one last thing I want to point out is a uh, Lotus 72 often photographed in the beautiful black and gold livery that they had there, the Lotus black and gold. Uh, liveries that they have on, that they had on most of those 72s um, were just phenomenally beautiful. There, they might be, and I know this is going to be heresy to Ferrari fans. Uh, I think the black and gold liveries that Lotus consistently put out are consistently my favorite on the Formula One uh, history books. Uh, McLaren's getting up there. I don't think they've hit one completely out of the park with their papaya and blue or papaya and black schemes yet. But, like, I could see that color combination working. But for now, gold and black, I don't think it gets much better than the way those cars looked. No, I I agree with you. that While the McLaren, the current iteration of the McLaren liveries are fun and, you know, cool to look at, um, I would not call them iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, McLaren, you got to go back to um, the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s for an iconic uh, livery scheme from them. Um, Ferrari, I'm going to agree with you. I, honestly, it's it, it, the Ferrari red, the color itself uh, sticks out to me. But the rest, I mean, honestly, if you put all of Michael Schumacher's cars together, I don't know if I could tell you which year they all were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you, they went off red a little bit back in the early 90s with like the Mansell car. Um, and the Jean Lacy car, um, but you know they're 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 good. I mean they're I mean they're iconic because it's Ferrari red, and that's about it. In terms of McLaren, I don't think they've had anything since the '90s. You know, uh, they came close with the 2016 car, uh, where it was that jet black and red kind of scheme. They could have gotten something. Call really it the Babadook car, yeah. The, yeah, the the Babadook car. Um, but uh, they didn't, and I, I think it's all due to um, Ron's relentless uh, pursuit of, 
you know, everything must be silver. Everything must be clean. Everything must be yada, 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 you know, whatever. Um, but that being said, he did bring me the, the late eighties McLaren team. So I can't be too beefed at him. And he brought Lewis Hamilton, uh, into the sport. So cannot, um, be, be too mad at him about that. But yeah, no, I agree. The black and gold, that is, that is the top three of all time. Yeah. Uh, Ferrari. While we're on it, and then we'll get into your story. Ferrari is a bit like the Yankees in that they man- they are so co- they're consistently phenomenally dressed, but because they're the Yankees and because there's a story behind it, they can't ever try something that looks better, right? They can't take any yep. risks, nope. so that's why the little teams, you know, uh, dare I say, the Padres or the Brewers, they're not steeped in history. They can try stuff, and that is why that they're actually the best looking team in baseball is because they don't if the Yankees changed from pinstripes everybody would riot you and I would riot right but you know what yeah. you have to be the, the other teams have to be able to the smaller teams are usually the ones that kind of can play around with those a little more so True. Ferrari's stuck in their in their ways and it's a phenomenal way to look but uh, it doesn't meet the black and gold all right it, so it, let's uh but yeah. Luke, okay I want to. I want to. I want to take you down a road right now. All right. We're gonna go back all the way to 2004. You were a puppy. I was a young buck. I was nine years old. You. You. Like I said, puppy. And there is a team on the grid, um, and they were called Jaguar. They were eventually purchased uh, and uh, turned into the Red Bull team. Um, but back then, um, you know, it was it was just a little bit different um, because uh, back then teams were starting to mess with Hollywood a little bit and starting to maybe advertise movies. I mean, we saw that with uh, the 007 uh, movies. We saw that with um, the Star Wars movies uh, after that. Um, you know, there have been a, quite a few times where, you know, movies got done, but this one was special because this one was here to uh, do a one-off sponsorship with Jaguar for the release of 2004's Ocean's 12. Can you, uh, can you just for a second, think about what they would maybe put on the car to promote Ocean's 12? Well, I would think maybe just the logo of the movie or, you know, kind of, you know, maybe make a livery that's kind of, you know, casino-y feeling like you're going to do a nice big heist of a casino. You have a grin on your face. That's not what it was, because was it? that's what you should do. Yeah. You shouldn't do what they actually did, no. which is put a diamond on the car. <laughs> and not just any diamond, a big honking 150,000 British pound, which, by the way, Luke, I've already done the calculation for you. That translates into $288,000 in today's U.S. money. Oh, my goodness. Onto the where and where do you think would be the worst possible spot to put that car to put that down? Well, I would say that any place that like, you know, is going to get stuff that's going to hit it or it's. Presumably the first place it's going to hit a wall. You know, I think that the safest place would really be around the driver's pod, right? Because it's not going to shake around. Um, so I think that the worst place would be something that, like, you know, gets ruined. Uh, nose. They put it on the nose. They oh, my put gosh. A big honking diamond. I mean, this thing is stunning to look at. I'm going to put it up uh, on my Twitter feed, at TimSDLF1, uh, if anybody wants to go check it out. But they put this on that part of the car where immediately That's, something bad is going to happen. So that, inevitably the, the driver who got into some trouble was Christian Klein. And during the race uh, on his first lap, he wrecked <laughs> the, the, he, he wrecked on the first lap. And, and Luke, I don't know if you can imagine this or not, but can you, can you tell, can you, possibly guess as to what mysteriously disappeared would it happen to be a diamond it would have been a big honking diamond where they never find it it was gone <laughs> Who knew? it just poof gone oh did no we, did we check the marshall's pockets or christian Klein's pockets 
Uh, I don't. I wouldn't have been opposed to that if I were him. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, you know what? If I if if I wreck if I if I wreck, and like one of the marshals takes that diamond, I'm like, you know what? Fair play, buddy. Fair play. Yeah. yeah. No. So. Uh, so yeah, that is my Formula One story for the week. The diamond heist. <laughs> promoting promoting a, a movie promoting heists ends in a heist. <laughs> So, Dude, what if Christian Klein got a cut of it and if he had a real crash gate scenario here? He had to pick the right place to crash on the track where the yeah. particular steward was going to be and jump out and grab it. I mean, that, sure. Well, that there, this almost happened in Iron Man 2, if I remember right. <laughs> Probably. But, I think uh, I had, Iron yeah, Man 2 but, took place at uh, the Monaco GP. But the, <laughs> the, like uh, here, there's so many... Here's the thing about motorsports is you think it's just the history of cars and like racing in circles. And it's like, no, dude, like there are so many stupid, outlandish, dumb things people have done with the amount of money they have in motorsports. And like, whether it, and sometimes they get away with it. Yeah. Like, I don't know, dipping a Camaro in acid. So that it has no crash safety whatsoever, and then it's getting it up to 180. <laughs> yeah, and then you're going 180. You know that if anything goes wrong at all, you're dead. Well, the and safety feature was just don't make things go wrong. <laughs> exactly. That was that was the safety feature. And to continue this, you fooled the stewards in the weigh-ins and in the check-ins. You used but, the car. <laughs> but and, and all you did was swap the numbers on qualifications, so you got to qualify the acid dipped Camaro twice. <laughs> yep. And sometimes you can get away with it. Other times, you end up losing a three hundred thousand dollar diamond in the streets of Monaco. Yeah. Somebody, somebody, the guy who picked that up, since he lives in Monaco, presumably, uh, that's probably he's like, ah, well, that's a handy week's wage. <laughs> Or yeah, that's uh, that's dinner for tonight. Thank you very much. He's it's like pick. It's like you and I picking up a quarter off the street. It's like that's eh, barely worth my time to bend over. But you know what? I'll do it. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but yeah, I figured I saw that story and I figured I would share. Um, I might be doing more of these as we move forward. The uh, motorsport shenanigans. Motorsport shenanigans. Uh, we'll, we'll use our brand new story time with Luke and Tim intro music to it. How about that? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, well, I think, I mean, we're about an hour into this episode, but I honestly think that's about all we have for this week. People, stay safe. Uh, we would bring you more if there were to talk about if there was more to talk about. But uh, stay but safe. We, stay we inside. This space. Stay inside. Stay home. And uh, we will regale you with more stories of funny and uh, try to be a good weekly laugh for you in the meantime. Absolutely. Uh, one more thing before we leave. I wanted to hit you, hit you guys with why there wasn't an episode next week. Just remembered I said I'd pull that last. up. Uh, yeah, last week. Not next week. Last week. There was no episode last week because we recorded on Monday. Um, and on Monday, the feeling was that we would still be racing in front of no fans in Bahrain. Um, I anticipated getting to work on that Wednesday – in the AM and at work is where all of our files in terms of transitions, effects, this, that, uh, our better, better editing software is. And I anticipated to build it there. And, um, on Tuesday, all of my shifts got canceled until the weekend. And obviously we went on hardcore lockdown and, you know, you're only allowed in the building when you can be allowed in the building or you're only allowed in the building on during your shifts basically uh so i didn't have any way to get all of the audio that makes the formation lap the formation lap outside of tim and i talking didn't have any way to make that a thing um so by the time i got it on saturday um obviously the situation had changed and it was mostly just a reaction to coronavirus and i figured that it would be better for us to record this episode this week instead of put out a week old episode with out-of-date news and i don't want you guys thinking that it's like the correct news when it's a week old in a situation like this. So our apologies, Tim and I apologize. Mostly I apologize because it's my fault, but uh, yeah, that's why, that's why that week's episode didn't happen. So we got locked out. <laughs> we got locked out. We got coroned, and 
Um, we're going to try to stay ahead of it from now on. We didn't uh, anticipate the insane escalation that happened, but we will be more vigilant as time moves forward. Yep, we have all our stuff at home, and we're going to bring you some yucks. We're going to try and make you make this a positive from week to week in such a wild time. So, uh, Tim, I think that's all we got. We're going to keep it easy. We're going to keep it fresh, and uh, we will see you guys next week. I'm Luke. I'm Tim. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs>